1: My guest today is a pitcher in the Atlanta Braves organization. J.J. Necro joins us today. He comes from a long history of professional baseball players. In fact, his late father, Joe Necro, pitched in the major leagues for a long time, and his uncle, Phil Necro, did as well. And if that's not enough, well, his brother, Lance Necro, played for the San Francisco Giants in the major, major leagues as well. We'll talk a little bit of baseball about his career and also about what drives him to be the man he is today. He's a character-driven athlete. I'd like to welcome J.J. Negro to bless to Play. J.J., welcome.
0: Thanks for having me, Ron. I'm really excited to discuss my career and, and the spiritual life as well.
1: Yeah, this is going to be interesting because you have such a background. Uh, I mean, baseball's in your DNA. Let's let's put it that way. And you come from, obviously, a great baseball family family. Um, Phil and Joe Negro combined to tally 539 wins, the highest combined total for siblings in Major League Baseball history. And they were known for the knuckleball. And there's a lot of people who could throw the knuckleball, but they can't control the knuckleball. And certainly, uh, Phil and your dad, Joe, did just that. But talk about, uh, I know you lost your father when you were young, I believe around eight years old. But talk about, you know, growing up as a Negro and have baseball all around you.
0: Yeah, so I lost my dad when I was eight, but I still have a lot of really great memories with him. Obviously, from the time that you're in a crib, you're going to have a baseball and a baseball bat in your hands. And it was just like that for me and my family. But the knuckleball was the one thing that always defined my dad, my uncle, and my brother even dabbled with it in the minor leagues. But growing up, my dad just wanted me to have fun on a baseball field. He knew that he had a really good career in the big leagues, so did my uncle. And there was going to be pressure with having my last name. Mm -hmm. But the best memories I have are just going out to a little league field, him throwing me some batting practice, messing around with the knuckleball, throwing pens. Um, One of my favorite memories ever is we were in the backfield, backyard of our house. And he would always throw me fastballs or a little baby knuckleball. And I was only six or seven years old. And I was like, Dad, I want the real thing. Throw me a knuckleball. (laughs) He was really hesitant to do so because you never know where it's going to end up. He threw a good one, I didn't catch it, hit me right in the face. So from that point on, I was like, I knew what my family had with the knuckleball in their history.
1: So you talked about the pressure of growing up as a Negro and you had to live up to that expectation. And it sounds like your, your parents handled it the right way, making the game fun and then see where you go with it. But did you ever feel the pressure to throw the knuckleball?
0: I wouldn't say I felt pressure. Everyone always asks naturally with the last name of Negro, but honestly, I just felt more pride. Uh, My dad my uncle never forced anything upon me, especially my dad, since I was with him every day uh, and him being my father. And they really just wanted me to have fun. So coaches, everyone would ask me. My my dad did show me the grip, but he said, you you do you. You be the person that you're meant to be on the baseball field and off of it. So he let me throw my fastball, my curveball, my changeup. And even before games, we always mess around with the knuckleball. But I would say it's more of a pride thing. And it always starts cool conversations with friends or with coaches.
1: All right, let's take talk about your time in high school. I mean, you went to Jesuit High School in Tampa. You played 4 years of baseball. You posted a 4 and 2 record and uh, uh 2.60 ERA. You had 31 strikeouts as a junior, but you you this is where you formulated I I would say your competitive desire to play baseball. But talk about those times at Jesuit, not only forming you as a player but a person as well.
0: Yeah, so what a Jesuit mottos is absolute excellence and Jesuit high school in Tampa is one of the best high schools in the country academically athletically and spiritually you're going to be formed as a man in so many more ways than you can imagine there mm-hmm. especially athletically you see at a lot of other public high schools or even other solid Catholic high schools that people can play baseball they can play basketball and football at Jesuit you really have sports specialization because everyone is so good And their baseball program is ranked consistently in uh, the top five or top ten in the country every year. So I had all the Florida State guys in front of me, the Florida guys in front of me, the Vanderbilt guys in front of me. Mm -hmm. I ended up going Division II to Florida Southern to play for my brother. And it really gave me the sense of, okay, I may not be the best in the team now, but I'm going to do everything great in the little details. If I win this little detail, if I have a good game of catch today, if I have a good class, a good grade on this test, every little thing matters. And I think that bled straight into the classroom because we had just as a competitive environment on the field, as we did in the classroom, everyone was seeing who could get the higher score, who could uh, have the most strikeouts in a game, whatever it may be. But I learned how to really balance that competitive desire with how to be a better man, because Jesuit's motto is absolute excellence, but it's also for the greater glory of God, ad Maiorem de Gloriam in Latin. So balancing those t- two things out really gave me the desire to be great but also to care for others and prioritize God first in all that I do.
1: Yeah, we talk about greatness. We're talking about magnanimity. So it's a desire to do the will of God to the best of your ability. And you're also the recipient of the Al Lopez Man of the Year Award as well, the Heart of the Tiger Award while at Jesuit. So you took this to heart, obviously, and then you decided that, you know what, I want to play some more baseball. So... This is guy, Lance Negro, who's coaching at Florida Southern. You may may have heard of him, and uh, you decided to go that route. Talk about the recruiting process and ultimately why you wanted to play for your brother at Florida Southern.
0: Yeah, so at Jesuit, you definitely garner a lot of attention, whether you're a good athlete or a great athlete, just because of the environment that you're in. And I would say I was good. I wasn't great yet at that point, and we're obviously always becoming great, that magnanimous mindset, as you you, uh, mentioned. But Lance reached out to me my junior, senior year. He kind of gave me time to go over the options that I wanted to do. I was really pursuing Catholic school at first, Mm -hmm. and I was looking at Boston College, uh, St. Joseph's in Philadelphia. But I knew that I wanted to stay in warm weather, so I could be close to home. I could play baseball all year round, and I could be around my family and friends, and they could come see me play. So it really was a no-brainer when he offered me a scholarship, and I knew I'd still have a really strong sense with Tampa, uh, being with my mom, who I'm extremely close to down here, and again, just having my friends uh, that I grew up with all along
1: be able to come out to watch me play. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Blessed to play Ron Meyer, talking today with J.J. Necro. He's playing in the Atlanta Braves organization and uh, played A-ball and hopefully moving up, had a great year uh, playing A-ball. So you're at Florida Southern here, and uh, there's a common theme with you, and that's uh, academic All-America first team. So. Obviously, you you really excelled in the classroom, and you excelled on the field as well. I, your senior year, 3-1, and one, uh, five starts. Uh, your three wins were tied for second in the SSC. You led the team in strikeouts with 30 and was second on the team in innings pitch with 29. So it really all came together for you collegiately. And then you decide, or you wanted to get drafted, obviously, but you were selected as an undrafted free agent. And your pro career began. So talk about when the Braves wanted to bring you on board. And obviously, there's a legacy there with your uncle, Phil, uh, one of the best pitchers in Braves history. But talk about that whole process and ultimately when the Braves gave you that call.
0: Yeah, so even before that process, actually, in 2020, I had Tommy John surgery. So I pitched pretty well for my first couple years of college. And then I had a, uh, a tear in my right elbow, but I threw through it. Definitely had some pain, and by the time my senior year rolled around, I did have a really, really good senior year, but I actually blew my elbow out completely two weeks before COVID ended the season. Mm. So I got the surgery then. I was able to do a ton of rehab during that year because the world was kind of stopped, so it was the perfect time to get it done, almost divine intervention. Uh, I flew up to New York the day before elective surgery was canceled, got it done, and then was able to start the rehab process. Um, but I knew one thing I had to work on was velocity. and That was something I really emphasized in my rehab and in my training. So once the time that spring season rolled around, I had a pretty good year, even though it was in limited fashion. And then the Braves eventually reached out to me. I guess they'd like what they had seen. And uh, I, I've thrown pretty well for them the past couple of years and looking forward to continuing to do so. But it's, it's always an honor to put on the Braves uniform because my dad played with them. My uncle obviously is in the Hall of Fame with them. And even my brother played with them in the minors. Mm -hmm. So every time I put on the uniform, I'm just reminded of how great of people they were. Because you meet people in the organization that knew them, that knew their character. And again, you see my uncle's name all over the place, whether it's in the dorm rooms we stay at there or this meeting room or this coach's locker is named after him. So it's a really, really cool and. Almost divine way to uh, honor them on and off the field.
1: It seems like you're really embracing that because it could become a distraction because you want your own identity, obviously, as a professional athlete. But yet alone, you have to answer all these questions about being a Negro. But you're really embracing the history behind it because it's it's part of who you are.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think one thing we've we've really lost in society today is a sense of our own family. And And how people used to take so much pride in their heritage and in their last name. Mm -hmm. And obviously, being from a baseball family, it's easy to say so. But even if you're from a carpenter, even if you're from an electrician, there's so many people who put so much into their work and really enjoyed it, and that set their character forth. And I think it's easy to see it in baseball because of this this instance. That seeing so many people that knew my dad, knew my uncle, they've they've never met me before, but they come up with the biggest smile on their face because they heard I was related to them. Just really makes. My day all the time. And we could be in a minor league field in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, or go into an Atlanta Braves game. Somehow there's gonna be a connection to Necro, and I'm just looking forward to, to putting my next stamp on that uh on the legacy.
1: Yeah, we're talking all things Necro today. We're with JJ Necro and uh what a legacy of family heritage he does have. Speaking of his dad, the late Joe Necro, and his uncle, the late Phil Necro, uh, some of the best pitchers in uh, the history of the game and certainly as a brother tandem, no doubt. So listen, I've interviewed a lot of professional baseball players and they all talk about their struggles in the minor leagues, but I'm looking at your stats here. 24 games, 10 and three, a 3.19 ERA, 121 innings pitched, 114 strikeouts and a a great whip, 1.18. So you're undrafted, you're playing minor league baseball and you seem to make this adjustment quite well. Tell us how you got to this point.
0: Yeah, I honestly I love the fact that I went undrafted. There's always the extra chip on your shoulder. I specifically remember draft day. I talked to a couple teams and uh, they said they were going to take me and everything was figured out and my name never got called. So it's always been motivation to prove them wrong and and people love to have that mindset of the underdog or whatever it may Uh be. I think especially having the Necro last name, too. When you go undrafted, people may think, oh, he's just there because he's a Necro. But mm-hmm. you get in there, you prove everyone everyone wrong, and it's, it's that much sweeter. But I think the biggest adjustment I had was just learning how to redefine myself as a pitcher. We have a, a really, really solid pitching coordinator with the Braves, and he gave us the philosophy that he likes. Uh, some guys embrace it. Some guys don't because they don't want to change. But I think I was very able to mold myself into the picture that they wanted us to be. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out extremely well. And I think always just listening and, and being open to different things, even if you don't think they'll work, can can really help you in the long run. And that's what helped me with uh, my approach on the mound this year.
1: So talk about the minor league life. I know it's not uh, the show by any stretch of the imagination. You're probably on long bus rides there in Rome, Georgia. And the, and the weather could get a little bit warm, wouldn't you say, JJ, in the summertime?
0: Oh yeah, Rome, and then I was in Augusta earlier in the year in low A. and I, I remember I pitched one game there. I think it was 113 on the heat index or whatever. It was after the fifth inning. I had thrown 85 pitches. I told the manager I was I was out of gas that day. Hottest game I'd ever pitched in my life. Drenched in sweat, and uh, yeah, it it definitely gets tough during for the season in in heat wise. Um, but it's it's a grind. You play 130, 140 games. Obviously, you don't have the big league crowds there of the twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 there every night. Some nights there's only seven or 800 people on a weeknight. So it's really your dedication and love to the game. But it makes you a lot stronger and able to realize that if you are blessed to play this at a major league level, that this made it all worth it. That The journey was really, really something special. And you make a ton of great relationships along the way.
1: For the love of the game, uh, J.J. Negro is our guest. We're going to talk about for the love of his faith when Blessed to Play returns. Keep it here. You're listening to Let's Go Play.
0: Lord Jesus Christ, who are called the Prince of Peace, who are Yourself our peace and reconciliation, who so often said, Peace to You, Grant us peace. Make all men and women witnesses of truth, justice, and brotherly love. Banish from their hearts whatever might endanger peace. Enlighten our rulers, that they may guarantee and defend the great gift of peace. May all the peoples of the earth become as brothers and sisters. May longed-for peace blossom forth and reign always over us all. Amen.
1: Welcome back to Blessed to Play. Ron Meyer joined today by J.J. Necro. And if you're familiar with that last name, you should be if you like Major League Baseball because his dad, the late Joe Necro, and his uncle, Phil Necro, some of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball history, certainly the best, some of the best knuckleball pitchers in Major League uh, Baseball history. And we talked about them and their legacy and also J.J. starting his own legacy. He's playing in the Atlanta Braves organization. He was with High A with Rome. In Georgia, and he's looking to move up. I think he is. i will probably see him in double-A, hopefully triple-A, and then uh, watch out. He might make it to the show. JJ, we know that baseball is a, a part of your life, an important part of your life, and you went to a Jesuit high school Jesuit high school in Tampa, and you were, you, you were formed pretty well. I could just tell by how you answer your questions regarding that, but I know faith is at the forefront of your life, your Catholic faith, but tell us what faith means to you and why.
0: Yeah, specifically my Catholic faith. I think you hear a lot of teammates say they're Christian or they're believers in Christ. But the fact that Catholic, which really means according to the whole, so baseball, the spiritual life, everything you do within life really re- revolves around our faith through Christ. So that's been something that's really helped me on uh, on the baseball field. And, and obviously, Jesuits formed me as well in that um, Ad my de glorium, which I mentioned earlier, for the greater glory of God. Mm-hmm. If we do every little thing in our life for the greater glory of God, you know that you're offering it for something more than just a baseball game, more than just an assignment, more than just work. And I think that is what really completely fulfills you in life. So that sense of just carrying, within, carrying that idea and carrying the Catholic faith within me during the season always helps me find the joy even in times of the minor league grind that we were mentioning earlier, the hotels, the bus rides, the late nights, or even when you're struggling.
1: Now, I wanted to talk about when you made it your own. This is a common theme that I ask questions to my guests, because you could be formed in the faith, right? Your parents could bring you up in the faith, and you learn the faith, which is not a bad thing. But at some point, it's got to be something that you grasp, that you hang on to, that you take ownership of. When did that happen for you?
0: Yeah, so... When I was eight years old, we, we had mentioned earlier, I lost my dad. I also lost my grandfather and my uncle, all within the span of 100 days of each other. And they were all kind of unexpected. My dad passed away from a brain aneurysm. My uncle was from a heart attack, or my grandfather was from a heart attack. And then my uncle uh, had his battle with cancer cut short. And I realized then we didn't have as many fatherly figures in the family, even being eight and nine years old when this happened. But I think the Lord allowed me to, to mature quickly to see that, this earthly life is going to end and most of the time it's sooner than you think. So you really have to find the joy in, in every moment of your life. So ever since I was eight or nine, I realized those things and just to be happy because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to wake up in the morning and a lot of people take that as a cliche, mm-hmm. but once you really apply that to your life to to live for the greater glory of God, to do that extra rep, to do that extra activity with a friend, mm-hmm. that's where you find that true sense of joy and fulfillment. And I just hope a lot of people can realize that at a young age, too.
1: I want to build on that. Let's talk about a theme here, living in the present moment. And as a pitcher, as a person who plays baseball, there's many ups and downs, and focus is part of that. But talk about your faith and also living in the present moment.
0: Yeah, I'll just tie that into uh, actually our, our mental performance coach with the Braves. So they hired him in the past couple of years and, the mental game has been a staple of baseball mm-hmm. for a while, but especially in the big leagues with how rapidly and how fast people can decline in, uh, in professional sports. So our baseball coach always really says, be, be great where your feet are. The mental performance coach for the Braves, but he loves to, to focus on controlling what you can control too. Even on the field, it's your attitude, it's your effort. It's the things that you can really control. Because once the ball leaves your hand, you can make the perfect pitch every time. You could do exactly what you want still be met with failure. And then if you apply that to the spiritual life, too, the things you can really control and be in Did you make time for prayer today? Were you able to make mass today? Are you actively pursuing the best relationship you can with your husband, your wife, whoever it may be? So he's been a really, really good influence on me. But just being great where your feet are in every moment is something that I've really tried to control. And it's really allowed me to uh, flourish in, in the present time and not get so preoccupied with the future.
1: Plus, to play. Ron Meyer chatting once again with J.J. Negro. He's pitching now in the Atlanta Braves organization. And you talked about prayer and this is how it fortifies you, gives, a, gives you the strength to be, uh, to be a strong Catholic, a strong Christian. But talk about those prayers within the Catholic faith that strengthened you on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, so during the baseball season, actually, which takes up a majority of our year, we play night games, mm-hmm. so I'm uh, afforded with the ability ability to go to daily mass. And even in the off season, I've carried that into my role as well. And daily mass is something that just completely strengthens me. Receiving Christ in the Eucharist every day is absolutely the greatest gift we can have in this life. Mm-hmm. So daily mass is really key center of my day during the season and out of the season. And then just building a routine as well. I think that's something a lot of younger athletes lack and uh, that, that professional athletes are separated from. They have this amazing routine of taking care of their body, taking care of their mind, knowing exactly what they need to do. But I think the one thing a lot of people neglect is their soul because we're always trapped in social media. We're always on to the next thing, always constantly in a busy schedule. But once we take a time to kind of step away, to to set that prayer routine, to go to mass for a couple of days in a row, you find God in that silence that allows you to recenter on your relationships, to recenter on Christ and recenter on the things that really matter in life.
1: So we talked about those long bus rides in the minor leagues, and there's a lot of downtime, especially during BP, that batting practice for those listening. Um, it fosters a lot of conversation. I remember conversations with my teammates, too, and they have to see that you're Uh, I wouldn't say different, but you're living your life in a certain way and you come from a certain worldview, which is a Catholic worldview. Talk about those discussions because you're playing with people from all over the country and even international players as well.
0: Yeah, some of my favorite discussions are with uh, the Dominican players or the guys from Puerto Rico that speak little English. Mm -hmm. They come over when they're 15 or 16 years old. So every day they'll come up to you and you really don't know what they're saying, but it helps you improve Spanish, which is really cool. It's a great trait that professional baseball uh, work you towards. But with my other teammates too, they definitely notice that I'm not the one always going out partying partying all the time and doing this and doing that on the road. But we have a lot of great conversations about the faith Mm -hmm. because some of these young guys that are in the system that are 19, 20, 21 years old, come straight out of high school and they haven't had that real life experience of what does it mean to be happy? Like we'll have some conversations like that or maybe we're talking about aliens or something far away. But I think you see the desire in a lot of these guys' hearts to, to know the truth. And it's, it's fun. I always try to tie it in, like I said, if it is with aliens or conspiracy theory or if we're talking about movies. <laughs> there's always some theme of uh, Christianity and especially Catholicism that rise it up, rises up because they want to know why I'm always the joyful one, too. Even when guys are slumping and they're not playing well, they're always met with a certain joy. Um, or at least I try to bring a certain joy in the locker room, the joy of Christ to them.
1: What most surprises you about the professional game, the professional life of an athlete?
0: Yeah, I would say it's just the schedule, how really, really rigorous it is, especially baseball, too. Because if we have a 7 o'clock game at night, people think you probably get to the field at 4 or 5, you stretch, warm up, and you're ready to go. But usually for a 7 o'clock game, I'm at the field at one thirty or 2.00. Uh, we have to be there to, uh, if you're watching video, if you're meeting with a pitching coach, you have to go out and stretch and throw earlier. You have to stand through batting practice, which is extremely boring from time to time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then you get out at 10 30, 11 and that's wake up, repeat, do it again. And you're doing that for six or seven months away from your family in a foreign place. And when, once you start to struggle, that really puts a lot of effect on you because you think there's so many other things you can be doing with your life. Am I going to get cut? Am I going to make it? So there's a huge mental game to play, play within it.
1: Now downtime, a diversion. You have to get away from the game at at some point and just uh, you know do things that are fun or be you. So, what does JJ Necro to do just as a diversion to get away from baseball?
0: Yeah. So. A lot of my teammates love to play golf on Mondays, which is our off day. Yeah. Since we're always out in the sun every day, I'll, I'll play occasionally. But I've been blessed with the chance that my family has actually lived in, by the teams that I've played with. So mm-hmm. the family I normally wouldn't get to see when I'm down in Florida in the off season. I usually go to their house during the day. I go to the pool. I'll go fishing with my uncle. Um, so we love doing that. And that there's ever like a basketball court around, just love being outside, playing basketball, uh, going on hikes in the woods with my family. And then reading too. I love to read philosophy, theology, some of that pretty intense stuff that I got from Jesuit. So <laughs> it's always something to explore to work on. But it, there, there's always a different way to find to find God, and I think that's the one thing I've really found in baseball too, in, in that schedule and in that downtime. That the Lord's always calling us to do more and to do more for Him and through Him.
1: So you've been through this process. You went through high school. You went through college, and ultimately now you're an un, you're playing professional baseball. What would be your advice to someone who is in your position, has a talent, and they want to run with it, so to speak? What is the right perspective to have as you go along this process?
0: Yeah, I think there's two things. Uh, The first goes back to control what you can control. Mm -hmm. Everyone always compares themselves to others, and they say comparison is the thief of joy. Once you start to do uh, compare yourself to people on Instagram or Twitter, you really get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Control your attitude. Control your effort control how much you can research online to really further your game and better your sport. And then one thing that really ha- helped me with Jesuit is uh, actually the Jesuit examine. So it's the, their version of the examination of conscience. Basically at the end of, of every day, uh, you kind of go over your day, place yourself before the Lord and say, how could I have done this better? How could I have done this uh, to grow closer to Christ? And specifically from just a baseball standpoint too, we do this with our, with our mental game. Uh, with our mental performance coach, Mm -hmm. he preaches something called 1424, 14 minutes and 24 seconds is 1% of the day. And if you really want to dedicate yourself to get better at one thing every day, spend 1% of the day doing it. So if you have a good workout, if you have a good throwing session, uh, a good game, go back and reflect on what made that good, what made it bad, and how can I improve from here? So you have a tangible standpoint of how to keep getting better.
1: Yeah, Love the advice. Well, J.J. Necro has been our guest, uh, certainly living that Jesuit motto, a man for others, and doing a bang-up job on the baseball field as well. J.J., thanks so much. Uh, I really enjoyed this, talking all things Necro about your career as well, but the hope within you, which is very important. We'll look out for you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on Blessed to Play.
0: Thank you, Ron. I appreciate you and all your work. Have a good one.
1: Hey, Blessed to Play fans, check us out on the web at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed number two play.com. You could like us on Facebook and hit us up on Twitter at Blessed to Play. For JJ Negro, I'm Ron Meyer. We'll catch you next time right here on Blessed to Play. You've been listening to
0: Blessed to Play with host Ron Meyer on the EWTN Global Catholic Network. If you have a question or comment about today's show, feel free to email us at Info at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed, the number two play.com. You can also connect with the show on the web at www.blessedtoplay.com. Again, that's blessed, the number two play.com. Join us again next time for Blessed to Play on the EWTN Global Catholic Network.